Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and this month we're asking, will Bed Bath & Beyond improve its performance now that it's settled with the trio of activists? How do German regulators react to short sellers? Why did a short seller run a proxy contest at my medics? But first, a look at how the way proxy campaigns are run has changed. Our cover story explores the advantages and disadvantages of using digital media in a fight. Digital media has become a feature of most activist campaigns, as both the activist and issuer use technologies to share their messages with shareholders. Campaign websites, video advertisements, and social media posts are some of the many new ways each side has garnered votes. Joining us today is Activist Insight Editor-in-Chief Josh Black, who spoke to experts in the space about the use of new media in proxy contests. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. What is the overall consensus about the use of digital media in proxy contests? So the word I heard most often in the interviews I conducted for this piece was critical, which I think reflects the nature of proxy fights. When you're in that situation, you really don't want to leave anything to chance. It's a very time-intensive period when you want to get your message across as quickly and as powerfully as possible. And so I think people have come around to the idea that digital media is an effective and a fast way of getting your message out to a large number of constituents. That said, there was uh, skepticism on some sides of the debate. Digital media is seen as particularly effective for retail shareholders, and some people were unsure whether it really made sense to focus heavily on it at companies where the shareholder base is particularly institutional, or if it's a company that is quite distant from having to use digital digital media in its everyday operations. For instance, if a company is consumer-facing or, you know, in media or tech, then it makes sense to play up on, you know, how digital uh, savvy either the company or the dissident slate is. What methods are most commonly used? Are some more effective than others? So the most basic components of a digital strategy are really the campaign website. It could be as basic as the proxy statement that the company or activist is filing, uh, some press releases and fight letters, or it can contain sort of specialized information such as flight logs of the seat, the company's CEO. That was a recent example of an activist campaign where they were suggesting that the CEO was spending more time traveling the world than he was running the company. We're also starting to see uh, digital advertising. So they might be links on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter to the campaign website or campaign materials uh, reminding people who to vote for and why. The more sophisticated campaigns are starting to use video more commonly and that could be as simple as a video of your nominees explaining who they are and why they would be good fits for the board. Uh, If you look at the proxy statement it's fairly dry information with a list of qualifications and maybe skills if you're lucky but the videos can really help personalize that. We're also starting to see videos that are meant to capture the attention of people potentially even 
get the media talking about a campaign. The most famous example in recent memory is Campbell's Soup, where Third Point hired a whole production crew and an actress and had this kind of narrative running through the video about how how bad the taste of the company had had become with the incumbent board. We've also seen it in smaller uh, proxy fights where an activist really wants to get a, a message across that the company is not moving quickly enough. And then you have kind of updates of traditional proxy fight media, so the campaign deck can become a lot more sophisticated, can include imagery to convey messages, um, nice infographics um, can help get a message across more effectively than a five-page fight letter in some situations. One thing that we're not able to see really is uh, the targeted advertising. So you have to file with the Securities and Exchange Commission what you're putting on LinkedIn, Twitter, and so on. You don't have to explain who it's going to. So obviously on a normal Facebook page or Twitter, you'll be able to see those adverts. But the parties in proxy fights can actually target them to different locations, different audiences. And it's really interesting the idea that this message might be being thrown at a particular demographic and the other side doesn't have transparency into who that is. And you could argue that they don't know who the proxy solicitor is calling or, you know, how many times the mail has been sent to certain groups. But uh, that could be an interesting part of this space to watch in future. Are there any disadvantages to using new media in a fight? Uh, the biggest one so far has probably been uh, the perception that it's an expensive tool. It's not always more expensive than traditional methods. If you think about mailing copies of proxy statements, which are pretty heavy to shareholders on a repeated basis, that can also be pretty expensive. But, you know, a high-class uh, digital media strategy can have the appearance of being very expensive. And we've seen activists criticize companies for putting up ads on Google instead of applying it into the company in other ways. The other bigger risk, I think, is that the digital media becomes distracting or the sides get carried away. And it's hard to prove where that's happened, but talking to people in this space, uh, there are varying views about whether an attack ad like the Campbell Soup video is effective. Clearly it got everyone talking, but did it get people talking about Third Point's message, which was that the board was old and stale and uh, needed to refresh its strategy? Hard to prove because the campaign settled before a fight. There are also examples of digital media that are particularly aggressive or, or sharp in their portrayal of the other side and that can alienate institutional investors if it goes too far. It's important that these materials kind of remain professional and on brand. So what's next for digital media? I think we'll continue to see it in more and more proxy fights. I mean we're already starting to see some element in pretty much every situation uh, whether it's a few tweets or the campaign website. Whether we'll see video become a real commonplace is quite hard to say. It may not suit every campaign. Some campaigns have more expansive outreach. Some try and keep the message fairly close and do as little kind of talking as possible. We'll hear a lot more about targeting of advertising, uh, whether that's an area that, that there's some debate about or we need to look at in terms of whether messages are being shared with the entire shareholder 
shoulder base it is a bit early to tell i think we could also potentially see more events using digital media and so during the adp campaign pershing square used a lot of webinars and public presentations to get their viewpoints across some of them were a little bit long it may be said but um i could see others using that as a way of uh, communicating their messages particularly in the closing stages of a campaign uh, when they can invite questions and answers and, and really get a feel for the sentiment out there thanks for being here josh for our next report Short seller Prescience Point Capital Management has recently embarked on its first journey into long activism, seeking four board seats at troubled biopharmaceutical company Mimedex. The investor, which ultimately settled for three seats, told Activist Insight Monthly that a long strategy carries more scaling opportunities for the short-focused fund. This is a strategy that we've had our eye on for quite some time, and it's a new arrow in our quiver, founder Iyada Spahi said. Mimedex over the past year and a half has been fighting with a host of high-profile short sellers whose allegations of channel stuffing and kickbacks led to the departure of CEO Parker Petit, a collapse in the stock price, and the delisting of Mimedex from the Nasdaq. Mimedex admitted to wrongdoing and said it must restate its financials from 2012 through 2017. Prescience hopes to reverse Mimedex's fortunes, confident that the company's strong asset base and low debt levels make it significantly undervalued. The activist believes there is solid consumer demand for Mimedex's key drugs, Epifix and Amniofix, adding that the firm also has a host of late-stage drug trials in the pipeline. Yet Prescience was not the only one looking for board representation. Ex-CEO Petit is seeking a comeback and nominated three candidates for election to the board at Mimedex's annual meeting in June. Aspahi said Prescience would not support him at all. Prescience believes Mimedex needs new blood with experience in getting troubled companies back on their feet. The activists advance candidates with experience in the finance, pharmaceutical, and biotechnology sectors, as well as with experience in corporate governance. We're in this for the long haul, Aspahi said. Troubled homeware retailer Bed Bath & Beyond has settled with a trio of activist investors after it tried all it can to keep the group out of its boardroom. Legion Partners Asset Management, McKellum Advisors, and Encora Advisors in March called for a board refresh, contending wholesale change is the only thing that can stop Bed Bath & Beyond from continuing on its downward spiral. Since then, the retailer agreed to appoint four dissident nominees of 10 to its board. The decision came soon after Bed Bath & Beyond replaced its CEO, appointed new independent directors, and said it is making progress on revamping its business. Shares in Bed Bath & Beyond peaked at 80 in December 2013, but tumbled to a little below $14 on March 23rd, the day before the activist campaign was launched. The group lamented Bed Bath & Beyond's declining margins, contributing them to heavy discounting, wasteful share purchases, and questionable M&A. Shareholders had already expressed discontent, voting down four consecutive failed stay-on-pay votes at Bed Bath & Beyond's annual meetings. Bed Bath & Beyond said it is open to suggestions from the activists 
but noted that most of the operational areas targeted for improvement have initiatives well underway or substantially completed. The retailer has increased its dividend and created a business transformation and strategy review board committee that will help its interim CEO identify opportunities for rapid performance improvement. The activist group expressed satisfaction with the settlement and applauded what it considers to be the board's commitment to building an even stronger future for shareholders. Legion agreed to dismiss litigation against the company, and the investor group said it will abide by certain customary standstill provisions. While short selling can be a profitable business, short sellers looking to venture into the German market should be aware that regulators do not take kindly to those hoping to negatively impact German stock prices. Earlier this year, German regulator Boffin prohibited short sellers from establishing or increasing positions in Wirecard for two months. The move came after various short sellers and a report in the Financial Times accused the firm of fraud, prompting its share price to tumble as much as 30% in the following days. Boffin's decision sparked controversy across the globe, with short sellers OD Asset Management and Safket Capital both criticizing the move. Nonetheless, the watchdog did not back down and later filed charges against journalists and short sellers for alleged stock manipulation. German regulators and lawmakers have a history of initiating actions against activist short sellers to protect native company stock. Of the 10 German companies listed by activist Insight Shorts that faced short campaigns since 2013, three had regulators or prosecutors defend their reputations. Boffin told activist Insight Monthly that its decision to ban the short selling of Wirecard shares was necessary, legally indicated, and adequate. It referenced the EU short selling regulation, which provides a preventive regulatory framework to be used in exceptional circumstances. The regulator also intervened when Viceroy Research in 2018 accused ProSiebenSat.1 Media of artificially inflating its earnings. Baffin said Viceroy breached the nation's financial regulations by not informing the market watchdog about its negative report on the firm. Moffin told Activist Insight Monthly that it must prevent a loss of confidence in and avoid any uncertainties of Germany's financial market. A risk is posed to appropriate price determination if it is no longer possible to assess whether this is based on true or untrue circumstances, it said. And now for some stories that did not make it into the magazine. Hedge fund manager Quentin Kofi has left D.E. Shaw to join Senator Investment Group, an occasional activist investor that is seeking to boost its activism operations. Kofi left D.E. Shaw after just two years of leading its activism efforts. During his tenure, he led campaigns at Lowe's Companies, EQT, and Bungie. Before D.E. Shaw, Kofi spent seven years at Elliott Management. D.E. Shaw spokesperson Randall Whitestone told Activist Insight Online that the firm does not expect to make any material changes to its activist positions. Activism is an important tool that we will continue to use when necessary to create shareholder value, he said. A person familiar with the matter told Activist Insight Online that D.E. Shaw has no current plan to hire a dedicated head of activism. The Fundamental Equities team, where most of D.E. Shaw's activism sits, has around 40 investment professionals. Kofi will start his position at Senator in July and is expected to work with the 
research team staffed by former McKinsey consultants. Under Kofi, Senator plans to invest large stakes in companies and work with management teams to make improvements, similar to D.E. Shaw's current strategy. Activism is currently in vogue with large hedge funds, with Third Point Partners saying a review of its past successes led it to refocus on activism and corporate governance. Senator has largely kept a low profile in activism. According to activists inside online, the fund worked with Appaloosa Management in its campaign to separate the chairman and CEO roles at Allergan. It also disclosed an activist stake in in-flight Wi-Fi provider GoGo, although it did not reveal much about its plans. Across the Atlantic, Coast Capital is urging Scottish transportation firm First Group to separate its UK and US assets, pull out of Britain's railways, and revamp its board. As the holder of nearly 10% of the firm's stock, the shareholder requisitioned a special meeting last month to replace six of First Group's 11 directors. Coast argued that First Group must also replace CEO Matthew Gregory with another leader who has turnaround experience in the surface transport business. The investor contended that Gregory, who took the helm last year, has been in the role one year too long. The activists argued that First Group's U.S. assets have a much higher independent valuation than the U.K. assets and said a separation could generate £3 billion in capital to be used for reinvestment and debt reduction. First Group issued a statement in response to the activists' demands, indicating that its current directors are focused on delivering shareholder value and are confident that the company has the right team with the right experience and plans in place to do so. Coast previously voiced its desire to replace the majority of First Group's board members in November last year, but failed to act. The current campaign comes amid an uptick in U.S. activism in the U.K. Shortly after Coast made its demands at First Group, Value Act Capital Partners released a rare public letter calling for Merlin Entertainment to go private so that it can continue investing in its business without having to worry about a falling valuation multiple. That's all for this month's episode of the Activist Insight Podcast. If you like what you hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com for comments or questions about the podcast. Or if you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening.